1: I don't know why, but in my brain, it was a unicorn, but it never was. And so unbeknownst to me, I kept calling it the unicorn ribbon and everyone was like, "What? Is, what is he talking about? <laughs> Finally, we connected the dots that there was never a unicorn. And so to fix it, I just asked for little pearls to be embroidered as the unicorn horns on top. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Welcome to the Art of Costume Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Joy Glass.
2: And thou art Spencer Williams. Hello, Elizabeth.
0: Hello, Spencer. I'm surprised you didn't call yourself a lord for this one.
2: Oh, yeah. Huh. That was kind of a missed opportunity.
0: You did. You did. See, you're not a real lord.
2: (laughs) This was our only evidence. We are in our first Shakespeare month. (laughs) So this really was my opportunity.
0: It was. And you missed it you missed you have two chances you missed your first one.
2: Oh man elizabeth are you excited for shakespeare month we all know you have beef with william shakespeare
0: i am so like thing is i really only hate romeo and juliet otherwise i'm cool with shakespeare like love shakespeare
1: <laughs> okay. like, I'm, I'm sure he's very glad much... to hear that
0: <laughs> yeah i know it's uh <laughs> after how many hundreds of years my opinion is what matters <laughs> to him in the afterlife so <laughs> glad we straightened that out. All
2: right. Ooh, Elizabeth, I have a I have a serious update for you.
0: Okay. Um
2: I thought these are done, but I have a small popcorn update.
0: Okay. I want to know. know. I want to know. Did you get a small
2: popcorn? I finally got a small popcorn. Yay! I it just happened magically, you know, uh for the people behind the scenes who are listening to this I have been uh, ruthlessly been trying to get down from the large 12 gallon <laughs> bowl of popcorn at the movies down to a small but I've always been too scared to ask for it because you just definitely...
0: ask you're giving <laughs> some money you just ask for it
2: but the other day I don't know how it happened but I I guess like I had a headache I was in sweats I looked like a zombie and I um I guess I, I don't know how it happened, but I for some reason said it. And he was like, oh, well, you could just get the combo meal um, if you're a member. And I was like, oh, I am a member. And he's like, oh, OK, well, here's the small popcorn. And it was that easy. And I almost passed out.
0: Yeah, I told you. <laughs> I told you it was not that hard.
2: So <laughs>
0: you didn't believe um, me.
2: A year later, I have finally got a small popcorn at the movies. And guess what? I still didn't finish it.
0: I told you. <laughs> see, see, our American consumerism is, it's pointless. You're you're not, you're not, what, saving money by getting the large, because you're never going to finish it.
2: Yeah. And then I watched Babylon. So you would think I would have nice. nervously ate all that popcorn. But anyways, enough about me. Let's get into Shakespeare month. Elizabeth, what are we watching this week?
0: Yeah this week we watched rosalyn i was so excited for this movie because it's everything romeo and juliet should be but it's not
2: (laughs) finally a movie that i was like when i watched i was like did elizabeth write this movie because this is how she talks about the movie all the time
0: yes it was a cautionary tale and at the end of the day in spoiler warnings once they're in that boat they can see they're not right for each other he's too stupid yeah. for her like
2: it's just <laughs> it was funny i was laughing pretty hard i was like i could not wait to talk about this and the costumes were so good i felt so like i was good. this all there should be a museum for all these costumes every single one i was like okay okay just i wrote so many notes
0: They're historically accurate while still being like fresh and fun and like they feel very youthful. So it was just like so perfect. And we should really just dive into this, Spencer. Start with that summary.
2: Okay. So Rosalind is a forward-thinking, ambitious young lady from the House of Capulet. She has been secretly seeing Romeo, a member of the Capulet's rivals, De Montagues, and promises to meet him at the Capulet Masquerade Ball. But things don't exactly work out. This comedic retelling of Shakespeare's *Romeo and Juliet* told from a point of view of Romeo's jilted ex, Rosalind, the woman Romeo first claims to love before he falls for Juliet, and that is Rosalind.
0: That is Rosalind. Let's go behind the wardrobe. We have director Karen Maine. And designer Mitchell Travers. Hey. You will know him from eighth grade, late night, hustlers, in the heights, the eyes of Tammy Faye, which we have done an episode on. Yeah. And then also George and Tammy, which Spencer, you did an interview for.
2: Yeah, I finally got to meet Mitchell, I don't know, like a month ago now. And I'm still listening to George and Tammy music is so bad. I'm sure my neighbors are ready to come over and murder me. Um, (laughs) Such a good show. I've told every single person I know about the show.
0: (laughs) That's one thing I have to get on. But let's continue to go behind the wardrobe. And we couldn't think of a better way to go behind the wardrobe then To have Mitchell on the show. Welcome. Mitchell.
2: Welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. We're so excited.
1: I feel like I just left. I'm back again. (laughs) I know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, when I I think when I talked to Mitchell the first time, I was like, Oh, by the way, um, Shakespeare month is coming up and we've already assumed that you're gonna do this episode with us. So thank God he said yes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I I love you guys and I love your show. So I'm happy to be here, truly.
2: You. you know what? I mean? <laughs> well, we're actually going to take a quick uh, little break, and when we come back, we're going to get right into it.
1: This is my favorite music when it comes in right here. This oh is- yeah, <laughs> I love it. <that>. Uh- <laughs>
0: To Roslyn. Uh, this honestly one of my favorite movies of 2022. Obviously, its take on Romeo and Juliet takes place in Verona during the Italian Renaissance. With this being like one of your first like major period films, I imagine you had to do a lot of research, which must have been exciting.
1: It was an enormous amount of research. Um, you know, I, I didn't come, come into this with some wealth of 15th century <laughs> knowledge of uh, costume outside of you know what I studied in school. So mm-hmm. it was um, it was an enormous undertaking and a huge challenge to have to go and look at you know, paintings as reference, mm-hmm. right? Oh, wow. So so many of us are used to doing mood boards with like, you know, fashion imagery and uh, or, you know, vintage photos of magazines and uh, that sort of stuff for our work. So to actually, you know, have to go to the Met to look at what I was about to do, it really shifted me into a, a very new way of working and thinking and designing. So um, I definitely had that that first day where I was like, Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is like a whole new, this is a whole new level. Right. We're not doing Hustlers anymore. <laughs> yeah, this is, there is no stress involved here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Real deal. Um, but it was great. I mean, it was really exciting to to sort of like shift the way I think and, and dream about costumes and use some of the most inspiring work. I mean, it's hanging in the most famous museums across our planet, right? So it's um, it was hugely inspiring to start with paintings.
2: Oh, I love that. I'm a, actually, I love the Italian Renaissance. I'm a big Renaissance nerd. Um, I think that's, I remember learning a lot about that in school too. So it was really cool to see it kind of be translated into a film like this. Um, One thing that stood out to me was how beautiful the textiles were. Everything felt very rich and authentic. I mean, the textiles felt like they came out of a Renaissance painting to me. What what was it like working for all these textiles?
1: Honestly, it was a complete thrilled to get to see how they're made um you know we shot this in Italy so I was in in the right place at the the right time um you know I found the the biggest challenge of course like you look at the you look at the research and you see the scale of the print on the fabric and it's so difficult to find that scale now because you know we're not making clothes with um With print, the size of our bodies, right? That's like not really something that we do. And so then you're, you have to sort of lean on, like, are you going to go down that upholstery route? Because so many period costumes look like upholstery. And that's, I think a lot of times in a vacuum, people think that we have all the time in the world to create these costumes. But in fact, it is very fast paced. You're, um, you're having to produce a large volume of clothing, you know, in a matter of a few weeks. So, getting something milled or getting something printed, there's often not that much time. So you have to be very clever about what you're using and how you're going to use it, especially in a, in a piece like this. So I, um I immediately got to work. I started my research just about where I could still get textiles. There's the insane part of working in Italy is that there are looms that have been producing the same textile for hundreds and hundreds of years. They're still operational and they're still manufactured in the same way. So I did discover a few mills that would produce um, you know, exactly what I needed, which was a huge win. And then um, just being in Italy, there is a bit more of that feeling into some of the fabric. So I was in Venice one time on the weekend, and I I I know how this sounds. Yes, I do. <laughs> I was in Venice on the weekend. And I passed, passed by this small shop, and in the back of the shop, um, and, and I feel like costume designers have a knack for this like we almost have like a nose like we we don't know what we're looking for but we just get these instincts to go into these little places and i went in and it was mostly like you know curtains and laces and things for home decoration and then i got in the back and there was like all of this fabric rolled up and stored vertical i could tell that like what i was looking at was the scale of what i wanted and so if i you know in my very very poor italian was trying to talk to the man about what he did (laughs) and he started to unroll these bolts and they were truly like from my research it was perfect they were massive silks and brocades and um just some of the most extraordinary textiles and i ended up getting so much fabric there i had no way to get it home because i was living in rome for this project so (laughs) just a little place called rome (laughs) Right. And so I I have, you know, like a few hundred pounds of fabric in Venice and trying to talk to my Italian crew, like, okay, I went for it. I went crazy. There's like all of these bolts that we need to figure out getting back up to the shop this week. Um, But it it was pretty fantastic. I mean, there's um, my friend Massimo, now my friend Massimo has some of the most extraordinary fabrics in Italy. I mean, we could never afford some of the things that he's able to produce, but um, on, on the more film friendly side of things, he did have these brilliant textiles like this Rosalind dress that we're looking at this bottom. Um, It was this, I saw a little sample of it and I, it just lived in my head for a few weeks and eventually I was like, bite the bullet, make the dress. Let's go.
2: Right. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, It's gorgeous. So like part of the textile then you're saying is, it had to do with like the the scale of the prints we were looking at. Mm-hmm. Interesting, Ugh, so gorgeous. And what else was gorgeous? I know Mitchell, you probably know from listening to the podcast, but Elizabeth and I love a ball, uh, so this was no exception. <laughs> uh, the Capulet ball was interesting in that it was monochromatic, but the got the costume still felt unique throughout the ball. So take us back to the ball and your ideas behind it.
1: Well, I feel like I, like you, I really love a costume ball in a movie. I love them. Um, and I just felt like a version of it that I, I hadn't really seen yet was uh, color specific, right? Like I feel like mm-hmm. often the, the palette is really worked out by the designer with beautiful balance between hues. And I felt like our movie called for something different and fresh and unexpected because, because of its script, right? It's, um, it's an, it's, different look at a story we feel like we know quite well um and it's that Romeo meets Juliet moment but of course we're on a different side of we're on a different team for this version of it yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanted this idea that it was like you know you could get caught up you could lose yourself or you could lose somebody else or you know you could see somebody across the room and not be able to get back to them at that same ball and so I wanted just this like swirling sea of red it's like passion mm. and love and it's you know, Blush, so many great things that you get from the feeling red can give you on camera. Um, so, you know, I do think my Italian crew wanted to murder me when I said we can only use red, right? Because we're outputting <laughs> like a few hundred extras in <laughs> costume. You're like, how
2: do you say murder
1: in Italian? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, they were great sports, right? Like they they would would go to the ends of the earth to try to get what we wanted on camera, and they're the most fantastic, fantastic crews in Italy. So we just we started working with a ton of rental houses throughout Europe. You'd be surprised, but there's not a ton of movies made in this period, so um, Mm -hmm. the stock is limited, right? It's not there's not rows and rows and rows of of Garments. So we were we had people pulling for us in London. I went to Spain. We have all of the you know fantastic and and um, extremely historical costume houses there in Italy. Um, so we just pulled as much as we could from all over the world, and we got a few hundred extras in red head to toe. Um, And I have to admit to you, it was one of those things where I was like, at some point, we're going to have to pull in another color. Right. There just won't be enough. Right. Enough Mm -hmm. time. There's not enough red fabric in the world. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And I had um, Paris costumes in Spain. They built a ton for us for this as well. Um, But we got it. It was pretty much red head to toe. I couldn't believe it. It was like by the skin of our teeth, but we were we were able to make it happen. And it felt, it felt like what I wanted because we were there on set and you had all of this, you know, gorgeous fabric surrounded you all in red with different adornments and silhouettes. And you kind of did lose people in it. Like it was kind of hard to find somebody again once you had done last looks on them, which was exactly the point, right? <laughs> you, you want that feeling of Romeo meets Juliet and then they can't see, they can't find each other again. Right. They get such,
2: it's like what we always talk about. I mean, the costume design was a, I mean, really driving the storytelling at this moment which is pretty awesome
0: another awesome character i fell in love with rosaline (laughs) she was so incredible and she's really going through it dealing with the absurdity that is romeo and Juliet. uh but even despite the these boy problems she is having she is looking fabulous all the time could you talk about the like overall story behind Rosalind's looks and your collaboration with the actress, Caitlin?
1: Caitlin is extraordinary. She's so cool. She brings such a great light to so many rooms that she's in. And um, we we had a really great first meeting where we talked about this character and what she wanted to bring to it, what I wanted to bring to it. And we we both felt pretty similarly that what we're doing is a movie about like the friend, right? This is the friend character, but in our movie, she is our protagonist. And so, in the way that in movies like this, you know, the the, the leading lady is like, you know, uh, light and blondes and blues and periwinkles and soft. And that, that's what we're used to with Juliet, you know, mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're like, we need the opposite. It's the best friend character. So we need like density and and weight and red hair and velvets and um, <clears throat> things that feel like for costume design, you know, things that we put on those secondary characters are now our focus. So. We wanted this kind of outsider energy on our leading lady. And I became obsessed with what I called like Botticelli Blonde, which is this like blonde <laughs> thing. Uh-huh. Um, we know what you're saying. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and, and I just became obsessed with that as my palette. So it was like I was looking at iron and rust and um salmon and coral and these like these tertiary colors that we often reserve for that secondary character became my palette for our our lead um which was really fun there was sort of like um almost if you were to do a contemporary film and you wanted to do like a twist on menswear for a character I tried to do the same thing just in the 15th century looking at some of those harder shapes to put on our leading lady um and I i I had a really fun time putting it together.
0: Yeah, I love that because she really is, even within the story, she is, you know, a woman that does not subscribe to the norm. So I I love that. Uh, one specific <laughs> detail I really loved was the dragonfly detail on the dress she's meant to wear to the Capulet ball. And I read that there's a little bit of symbolism behind this.
1: So... The it's like the most romantic thing in the world, but there are a ton of dragonflies in Italy in the summer when we were there. And so I kept seeing them all the time. And, you know, there's such magical things when you see them, right? Like you're captivated by them. And in a conversation, Caitlin and I started talking about dragonflies because because we were seeing them um, as we were at some of these locations. And then I became obsessed with the idea and I started seeing it's one of those things like once it's something that you notice, you see it everywhere. So I started to find imagery of dragonflies in the paintings that I was looking at. I found it in stained glass. I found it in so many places. And I started to realize like something's going on with dragonflies. I need to go down the rabbit hole. And so what I found is that actually, in, you know, we were roughly like 1460, give or take. But I found that there was, you know, like all, periods in history there are trends and in 1460 there was a trend of dragonflies as symbolism Um, it it made its way into like I said stained glass it made its way onto uh, cutlery jewelry this imagery of dragonflies came up and it became sort of a symbol of finding your way and being on the right path and so we just felt like this is perfect for Rosalind right like she is finding her way she is on the right path she's she thinks she's headed towards one goal, but in fact, like who she's surrounded by spoiler alert is exactly where she's meant to be. And it's, it's part of being on the right course. So once that was locked in, I was like, we're doing a dragonfly dress. We have to. So, um, I went to uh, a metal worker and we found these dragonflies that we created to run down the front of this dress. Um, And it just it was like sort of for me and Caitlin, it was our a little bit of the culmination of all of our little chats about these dragonflies and the history and the dresses. And so just felt like felt like the right thing to put on her when she's with Dario. That's gorgeous. I am obsessed. I
2: mean, this is why we love costume design. Mm -hmm. Little details like that that, you know, maybe not everyone will notice, but there's so much thought behind it. It's incredible.
1: It really opened my eyes though to trends throughout time because you know, I think so many times when we look at periods of history that we can't necessarily relate to. They, they feel static and still, but we've always been dressing ourselves the same way, ultimately, like shapes come and go and layers come and go, but we've, we've had color come in and out in trends. We've had jewelry styles come in and out in trends, prints, solids. And so it really humanized a lot of the, the faces that I was looking at, where I realized like, oh, you were just getting dressed in the same way that I am, right? You had a lot fewer clothes, but they were much more beautiful. But, um, you know, I, I joked about this um, in my post about this, but it was like, you know, the owl necklace of the 2010s. Like, <laughs> yeah. This is that, yeah. right? It's it's a young girl following the trends of her time and trying to trying to fit in, trying to express herself, trying to have some individuality. It's very relatable to the way that we still dress ourselves today. (laughs) That's so true. My mind is blown right now. (laughs) I
0: love that. Wow. Um, uh, Also with Rosalind, she's like a little more sophisticated. And when you put her next to Juliet, she definitely looks a little more sophisticated. Because Juliet definitely has like a pureness of, of vulnerability to her a little bit. Uh, were you establishing a contrast between the two?
1: Certainly. I think it was really important that Juliet felt younger than Rosalind. You know, Rosalind thinks of herself as a woman of the world, whereas Juliet is sort of just coming into her own and discovering the world and and her place in it. And so we wanted this little sister energy from Juliet Mm -hmm. that Rosalind takes under her wing. I got hugely inspired by Etched Glass. There's a lot of beautiful pitchers and vases and and goblets um that still exist from the the period and um i just got really inspired by that transparency and the lightness and um the just the the fragility of the pieces i was looking at and i just tried to interpret that through clothing for her there was a connection i i couldn't break
0: yeah one scene i ex- especially liked that contrast was the bar scene because especially Juliet has like, I think it's like a, a unicorn um, embroidered on her top. And it's just very flowery. And then Rosalind is like deep colors, has this beautiful like jeweled headpiece. I was like, that is like a beautiful contrast between these two.
1: You you got it perfectly. It's exactly what we wanted. I, I sort of did the bars like our biker bars. So there was a ton of leather. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of this like crude, male, sweaty energy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I used to joke, but I was like, you know what they say about showering, you know, like I think this place would reek. It should be like kind of oh, yeah. here. to yeah. be I mean, To have this like little doe eyed unicorn wearing <laughs> this bar. It's like, it, it's, we, we want, we want that shock to her system, right? She's learning about the world. She's learning about men. And then the, the unicorn trim is actually quite funny because I it's a piece of vintage ribbon that I found at my favorite vintage ribbon dealer. There's not many, but she is my favorite in New York. (laughs) And it was something I bought like early on in the thing. I, this is sort of the way I costume. I like gather stuff. I don't know exactly where I'm going to put it, but I know it has the right feeling for me and I don't know why, but in my brain it was um, a unicorn, but it never was. And so (laughs) unbeknownst to me, I kept calling it the unicorn ribbon and everyone was like, "What? what is he talking about? <laughs> Finally, we connected the dots that there was never a unicorn. And so to fix it, I just asked for little pearls to be embroidered as the unicorn horns on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's <laughs> correct my memory a little bit there. But uh, yes, she became known in our costume shop as the unicorn dress that was ultimately never a unicorn. But we made, we made sure to correct that.
2: I'm obsessed. I actually didn't even notice the unicorn. So mm-hmm. now I feel like I, we need a pause and I need to go turn the movie back on. But we'll keep <laughs> going. I'll do that later. <laughs> I feel really jealous right now. <laughs> what I did notice, though, uh, Paris was really serving some looks every time we saw him. Perhaps my favorite has to be this very subtle, understated costume with the lion over his shoulder. Mitchell, how did this happen? I'm obsessed with this.
1: I think, uh, you know, I love subtlety. <laughs> I had this character, Paris, who was supposed to be, you know, the gay bestie. Um, and I was just trying to find ways. Ultimately, my, my lens into this this whole movie was, how do you tell like a young adult story? If you were going know, to, I know what I would do with contemporary costumes. So I tried to take those instincts and filter them through all of this research that I had done about 15th century Italian uh, costuming. And so in the ways that we would do a fur collar or, you know, extraordinary embellishments or prints and things like that, I felt like Paris would be dressing himself the same way that, you know, the gay bestie would today. So I said, <laughs> what are the extremes and what what are the fashion forward things that we can put for this character that we understand he is a a man trying to express himself in ways that other men of this time aren't. And so one of my first stops at the Met, I found this lion helmet. Oh, okay. It was from the period. And it was just like such a bizarre little item that I, you know, I kept in my, my camera roll on my phone for a while. And then I got to, uh, to Italy and I'm in, in all the different museums. And I found this painting that had lion shoulder pieces um, on this armor. And then I started to swirl on that for a little while, and then I, in some of my research, I found that exotic pelts used to be worn. Like they were, they were much more worn in in terms of um, like ceremony or battle, or quite honestly, from what we can tell, mostly worn for paintings. But right. you know, if there's if there's a man posing for a painting with a lion, that definitely speaks to the Paris that I'm trying to create. So mm-hmm. I worked with um an artist um, called Eastern Wind Studio uh, who produces these faux replicas of different animals and so um i knew i wanted a lion we imagined that paris is a leo right it would just make sense so (laughs) we came up with this huge lion shoulder mount that we we plopped on top and it served sort of as like a um you know a shoulder Pat piece
0: (laughs) some some shoulder (laughs) embellishment
2: (laughs) (laughs) i love it i'm obsessed with this you should probably wear something like this to perhaps a costume awards this year i think that would really turn heads it's
1: like lion mount yeah (laughs) so here now i often don't exist in the real world when i come i just get lost in the design of it all and i sometimes lose myself in the practicalities of all of this so at one point my assistant Mitchell Wolf came up to me and was like how are we getting this in the country because it was of course being built in the US oh right so we had to import a fake i mean it's looks real it looks like a real life oh, yeah. mm-hmm. it's all with fake materials um you know i think that the the hair is um you know like from a beauty salon but it's done beautiful it's dyed and it's it's meant to look real yeah. So much so that if you touch it, like most of our crew did think it was real at one point. We had to kind of explain that this is like, you know, shaved polar fleece and and right. human hair, mane. I
2: have to say, I wasn't 100% either. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> faux, but...
1: It beautiful work. But then we got into this nightmare of importing a lion head through customs in Italy, trying to convince everybody that it's not real. Of course, Disney is famous for its no animal products on camera policy. So we had to we had to prove to them with the artist that none of this was real. They were slightly concerned that it could be perceived as real. And, you know, it was a whole big swirl of a conversation. But as you can see, we landed the look. <laughs> we <laughs> sleep nights about it, but it got there right on time.
2: Uh, amazing i imagine it going through like the x-ray at customs and like um what is
1: that (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) definitely some flags raised across the border i believe (laughs) right
0: i love that i also i love a good hat and this movie was full of fantastic hats the hats were just over the top and i loved it were these built for the film? Uh, Like, did you have a workshop or were most of them
1: rentals? Well, thank you for acknowledging hats. I don't know if any of your other guests have had this conversation with you, but for costume designers to get a hat on camera is like an act of Congress. (laughs) The, (laughs) The DP wants to cut them, the producers want to cut them. People are so unfamiliar with wearing hats and seeing hats that it's it's very hard to get them on camera, even though all of the research would show you hats. You know, it was um, a pretty legendary battle that we had because, you know, I'm a I'm trying to to do my job and be period correct in an environment of people who don't necessarily want that, right? And so right. my costume, my costume soul is like, but they wear hats. You know, we would be in these locations with these incredible mosaics and frescoes on the wall. And I would say to our team, our producing team, like, look at the research. It's on the walls. Everyone here is wearing a hat. Mm-hmm. Right. But to a modern eye, hats can be distracting, especially of this period, because they were so over the top. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was a total, total battle. The director and I were really all about the hats and we had to fight those those voices who didn't want them necessarily. So, Elizabeth, thank you. I appreciate Of course. The <laughs> I appreciate the notice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's um, I, I it gave me a lot of perspective when I have looked at other costume designers work and, and been like, well, that's not period. And then you realize like, well, there's a lot of voices that go into those conversations. And so if a costume designer can get close to period, it's a it's a, a victory. <laughs> I love it.
0: Honestly, you're you're saying this, and I'm like, because I've watched a couple of like those Renaissance like Netflix shows, and I'm really through. I'm like, wait, there were no hats, like, or there were very few, and I'm like, oh, that's why.
1: I mean, the other battle we had was so, uh, you know, it's for most of human history, people have worn layers of clothing, right? We're now in a period where we're not super layered in the same way, but. Uh, In this period, women would be wearing a camicia, which is like a chemise basically, under all of their dresses. And so often, when you watch a modern take on a period show, the chemise is the first thing that gets cut because it's not understood by a modern audience. But for people who are paying attention and understand costumes, like they would never, you would never just throw a dress on top of the bare skin. It's Mm -mm. a very modern idea, but it's often done in these modern takes on period films. So Battle of the chemise was a whole other thing. And I had to prove you need need the camicia underneath so that you can get those puff sleeves like the slash, like, you know, at the shoulders and the elbows and at this neckline. It's like it's for me, it's one of the most romantic parts about the period. And you have to you have to have it in order to sell the look. But, um, you know, again, it's one of these details that doesn't really work to a modern eye. So it needs quite a bit of convincing to get it towards camera.
0: That's fast. I never would have thought that's like an issue. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. I'm so happy you won this battle because I, the hats really made the movie. I mean, I just can't imagine it without the hats. They were so good. I, I feel like we should bring these type of hats back, actually, if we're talking about it. Move for it. Yeah, especially I think it was either Romeo's mom or Juliet's mom who had a hat that kind of looked like a taco I thought that was really wonderful <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, to, to answer Elizabeth's question we did we had three in-house milliners who were you know more talented than the next and so it was fantastic I would bring them in fabric and feathers and felts and we would block out hats and trims and it was like you know a Lovely to be to be there with them and, and experience the craft that they have, you know, it is a dying craft, right? The world is not full of milliners as it once was. So to work with people who are um spend their lives making hats is like a real it's a gift.
0: I love that. Like one of the first times I realized like, oh, I'm going to like this movie was when she's walking with her dad in that pink dress and he, he has the hat in his hands. But I had no idea what it was at first. I was like, what is in his hands? And then she puts it on. and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that hat's fabulous. This is going <laughs> to be good. <laughs>
2: Mitchell, you did the thing. <laughs> um, I basically jumped off the couch when I realized that I was looking at Minnie Driver in this film playing Nurse Janet. She looked incredible, even if she was in a more traditional look. Um, she actually spoke about her role in the film. I just want to read that quote for Elizabeth and Mitchell. She said her character is much more engaging than the traditional nurse role in Romeo and Juliet. It was the worst part at drama school. Nobody ever wanted to be the nurse because it was like the boring old person. But now in this, she's obviously youthful and vigorous and extremely funny. I was thrilled to be a part of this whole thing with all these lovely people because they're all good souls. They're all lovely, good humans. And that's what's most important. Um, That was from a website called As the Bunny Hops. Um, Mitchell, what was it like working with Minnie Driver?
1: A career high, for sure. (laughs) It's Minnie Driver, you know? right. And, and the cool thing is like, she is an actress who loves costumes.
2: Oh yeah. We just did family of the opera a few months ago. So.
1: <laughs> and I got to talk to her about that. I mean, that costume is like one of the best of all time, Oh but, gosh! I mean, but it was great. She had just been, um, she had just come from working with Ellen Mirajnik. And oh. so, you know, she was like high on costumes, of course, after Ellen and, um, it was really fun because she, she loves all the details like we do. She, you know, she wants to get it on and and live in it a little bit and talk about, you know, for the nurse character, we got into the breakdown a little bit. It wasn't this perfectly polished uh, costume. And so we got into the breakdown together. She wanted to understand like how we were going to tie the fabric on top of the head and, and the smocking on the apron and how it would be worn. And she, she loves to know all of the history of what she's in so that she can inhabit it best. And I just find that that's such a, a wonderful relationship to have with an actor who wants to to wants to acknowledge the work that's gone into their costume and understands the references that you're pulling from so that she can <clears throat> she can inhabit it a, a bit better so it was it was a real joy to work with her
2: yeah i i mean i can't imagine she did amazing and it was just so good to see her we need more mini driver roles honestly i just yes. obsessed with her bring them on <laughs> i'll watch all of them Right. I was like Elizabeth, I almost texted her, but she's three hours ahead. I'm like, you didn't tell me Minnie Driver was in this <laughs> as I was watching it.
0: <laughs> uh let's take a second and talk about Romeo and Dario. They both certainly have unique styles and silhouettes. Romeo's feels a bit more like guarded and Dario's much more inviting. What was your idea behind the two characters?
1: It was really fun because in the same way that we had this relation or the difference between uh, Rosalind and Juliet, it echoes itself a bit in the relationships between uh, Dario and Romeo. So the girls were all chasing Romeo. And so we wanted that sort of like peacock, right? Someone who's like really into fashion and accessorizes himself. Um, I did lose my battle of a pearl earring on Romeo. I wanted oh. that like, top angle that we're seeing right now <laughs> yeah. um, because men, men were wearing earrings at the time yeah. um, so I wanted to to just give a modern audience something that they could relate to in the same way that we look at the the carrot hair and the little earring right now. I wanted the same to be true of our Romeo, but it was all about using elements of masculine dress but but taking them to their extremes so the boots became thigh highs the the capes became trains and so it was an exaggeration of elements that are that existed in 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 paintings um but just taking it to the point of extremes and and frivolity whereas dario is much more um rugged it's about like leather and studs and um simplicity honestly in the against the the other costumes in the the film it sort of takes a lesser tone the quiet tone which i think is part of the draw for Rosalind. like he is the one who gets overlooked and then you realize he's been the sturdy practical uh companion that she's been looking for for the whole film
2: wow i love that um total sidebar but did anyone on set mention that romeo was giving kind of heath ledger vibes throughout this so
1: the second we had the wig, we were like, oh, my God, this is Heath, right? <laughs> right? Okay, I'm not crazy <laughs> the whole time. I mean, Kyle acknowledges that comparison That just the facial structure. They, they right. look like each other.
2: Um, right. I mean, he did a fantastic job as Romeo, but the the comparison is there for sure.
1: <laughs> absolutely yes. And the, the <laughs> hair length specifically, right? It took yeah. us all back to that young Heath.
2: It was beautiful, actually. I think uh, Romeo's, you know, the costume we see a lot of the images coming from. I love that, like, black, strong shoulder moment. That's one of my favorite costumes.
1: All built. We made it all.
2: Okay. (laughs) So, Mitchell, this was a beautiful film and brought so much joy and comfort. Even Elizabeth enjoyed it. And she notoriously has beef with William Shakespeare. So, clearly something right happened here. Uh, But this project just came off to me as a dream project. I mean, you're shooting in Italy. It's all gorgeous. You're doing all this inspiration. What did this experience mean to you personally, professionally, you know, looking back on it all?
1: It was a real pinch me job. I mean, I got to work with my my favorite part of my job is the people always. like I I love a good script, but I, I love a good crew and I love a good cast just as much. So I am always humbled when I get to work with People who have devoted their lives to craftsmanship, so weavers, milliners, stitchers, drapers, tailors like those are my people i I love to work with them, and so to get to to run a a costume shop in Rome at one of the most beautiful times of the year and and be able to um you know go to Venice for the masks, right like we're doing a masked ball, just just hop down to venice and and get some masks taken care of it's just a, a real pinch me moment where you you recognize the opportunities that this career path can provide you you know it asks a lot of you 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 really have to devote most of your waking hours to the project whenever you're working on it but if you do it right and you like the people that you work with it can really be so so rewarding so it, it was very hard to to say no to a project that's going to let you do period costume for a period that's not often done on film there's not a ton of movies that you can look to for this this period um so to be able to do that um to to be able to work with the people I got to work with it was just like a real how did I get here moment yeah I mean
2: we loved it congratulations Mitchell this was such a joy um yeah. I'm trying to think of another Italian Renaissance film and nothing's coming to mind. I mean, this, I guess this is our favorite.
1: <laughs> not, I mean, it's also hard for it not to, you have to be careful that it doesn't just become like a Ren Faire, right? Right. There's a lot of bad Ren Faire costumes out there. And <laughs> you have to be able to discern the difference between what's based in reality, what's based on fantasy. There's a lot of crossover between the Renaissance and fantasy costumes. So keeping things on the side of history versus uh you know design is a a hard line to find
2: right well thank you so much for joining us mitchell but we're not done quite yet would you like to play a little game with us absolutely hit the track (laughs) daniel
0: the one costume to rule them all
2: My look actually changed over the span of this interview. Uh, Originally, it was Paris's look with the black hat and the long feathers, just because I want that hat so bad. And it has like the awesome necklace and the fur detail but I know this is kind of a shocky choice for me, but I went to the dragonfly dress just because oh. I just fell in love with the story. It's not something I'm not a romantic person. I would never go for something red or with, you know, butterflies or dragonflies. No, I would love <laughs> it. The I you know, that's so not my choice, but uh I fell in love with the symbolism of it and I love the research that went to it and the storytelling and, you know, trend forecasting in the 1400s. I mean, (laughs) most people think trend forecasting starts in 1920. So um, it's kind of, my mind was blown. So Mitchell, I changed my look. I'll take (laughs) it.
0: I love that. Uh, I also love a, uh, just like a crazy costume that doesn't have, like too much screen time but looks fabulous so I went with Paris's lion head shoulder piece look just because I love the work that went behind it and just like it's such a gorgeous piece but he's also just kind of like in the background he's like yes I'm here I look great look uh, better than all of you so I'm just gonna go around with my shoulder piece that is <laughs> Far too big, but looks incredible. So that was my one costume to rule them all.
2: Right. Was that the night that he was uh, announcing his wedding too, or his marriage? His
0: engagement? Yeah. Right.
2: And he's trying to be like, (laughs) it's not a big deal, but yet he's taking advantage of this moment for a wedding he doesn't care about.
1: (laughs) I think if Paris knows there's a spotlight on a moment, he's going to occupy that spotlight. for Absolutely. (laughs) All right, Mitchell, what is your one costume to rule them all? Okay. My one costume to rule them all would be the pearl dress that Rosalind wears for her battle sequence. Oh, oh. We built four—I think three or four of them in the end—and um, it was a real like testament to our team because the fabrics came from Spain, the pearls came from New York. It was built in um, Spain and Rome, and it was just like everybody firing on all cylinders to get this dress done on time with the multiples and um it was just one of those things like it 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 was really down to the wire i mean people were sewing the morning that it was working and it was just uh really gratifying to know that you can pull off what seems impossible and um it was like it, it looks like the dress in my mind which is i'm always working to shorten that gap the dress in my mind versus the dress on camera so much can happen in between so many uh, you know opinions shipping delays uh, fabric <laughs> so many things can change and so when they when they get really close to that dress in my mind i that's got to be my costume to rule them all
2: uh, uh, i love that one i know exactly which one you're talking about it's definitely some of my favorites too
0: i i love that that was a that was a very cool one
1: and i'm going to go on the record as saying to All my fellow costume designers, it is time to start picking favorites. No more. (laughs) I want to know. Pick a favorite.
2: Yeah, Yeah, for everyone who's listening, we always give the designers a choice. Most of them decide to say um, they'd rather not choose a favorite, which I understand. But then it's like, you know, is Brad Pitt going to listen to this and be like, they didn't pick my costume, you know, type of thing. (laughs) So I think we're okay here. No,
1: just pick. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, <okay. laughs>
2: with that Mitchell thank you so much for joining us this was such a treat I love this what a great way to start our Shakespeare month I mean it doesn't get better than this yeah thank you so much Mitchell this has been such a joy and thank you for listening to the podcast and supporting us you know we love everything you do and I'm just excited for the next thing that we could get you on here for um you're one of our favorites
1: oh uh, don't <laughs> Don't make me blush. Come on.
2: Uh, Be sure, everyone, if you love all these stories, you know, Mitchell occasionally posts some great costumes on his Instagram. Follow him at underscore Mitchell Travis underscore. Uh, Check out some of these costumes for yourself. They're great.
0: And... If you want to weigh in on which costume ruled them all, you can leave us a voicemail at 626-515-1826. Or you can email us at theartofcostumeblogcast at gmail.com. Spencer, what are we watching next week?
2: Well, I think your, Rosie, your love for Romeo and Juliet, it's probably going to be short-lived because next week we are watching the most Romeo and Juliet story of them all. The Romeo and Juliet directed by Boz Lerman. Uh, it's quite a Looks it's interesting. it's a good one. You're gonna Looks love interesting. it. Elizabeth. Can't wait. <laughs> I'm sure everything's gonna work out in the end of this one. Surely. Um, if if you love this episode, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Art of Costume Pod, TikTok at the Art of Costume, where we'll be posting clips from this episode. Don't forget we have a merch store at the slash pod store. And when you have a chance, don't forget to leave us a five-star text review on Apple Podcast. It really does help. Mitchell, this has been such a joy. Elizabeth, it's good seeing you. Thank you all for listening.
0: Thank you. Have a good week.
2: The Art of Costume Blogcast is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Joy Glass and Spencer Williams. Our audio engineering and editing is done by Dan White. Follow us on Instagram at the Art of Costume Pod, or visit theartofcostumeblogcast.com for all blogcast updates. If you want to support the show, go to theartofcostume.com/podstore. For more costume reviews, deep dives, and interviews, head over to theartofcostume.com, a blog dedicated to highlighting the best in costume design. We're really excited about this one, especially (laughs) because Elizabeth is notorious for not liking Romeo and Juliet. I I think this might (laughs) be that's, and I loved
0: this movie. (laughs)